This is our second session on this rich passage in Titus 2, 11 to 14. Let me read it, and then we'll go a step further. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So, Father, as we, as we tackle why Paul would move to training us to renounce ungodliness and these other practical effects of the work of Christ, show us how that relates to the deeper work of forgiveness and justification and how it relates to our daily lives in honoring the Lord who died for this. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So that is my question. We've we've looked at the question of the appearing of the grace of God and pointed out that once this grace had been active in being given to us in Christ before the ages began, So God was designating for himself a people by grace before the ages began, and now this grace has appeared. And the question I'm asking is, why in this whole passage does he go from this salvation, which is being worked by the appearing of the grace in Jesus Christ, go from there straight to the practical, ethical outcomes, training us to renounce ungodliness, renounce worldly passions, live self-controlled, upright, godly lives, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. And you'd expect him maybe right here to say something about forgiveness or justification or new birth. And he, he keeps going in the same practical line, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people who are of his own possession, who are zealous for good deeds. All the way through, the focus is on renouncing ungodliness, ungodliness, worldly passions, and positively embracing self-control and uprightness and godliness and being free from lawlessness and pure and zealous for good works. So my question is, why did he why did he go in that direction and i've got t- two suggested answers let's go back just to make sure we realize what he has already done lest we think he didn't even have it in his mind in calling attention to the effect of eternal life as a result of the work of christ not just ethical change in this life paul a servant of god and an apostle of christ, jesus christ this is the very beginning of the book for the sake of the faith of God's elect. Those are those people who, before the foundation of the world, were being targeted with grace. And their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, which is very much on his mind, as we saw already in this letter, in the hope of eternal life. 
So he has not forgotten that eternal life was made possible because Jesus died for our sins. Which God, who never lies, promised, there it is again, before the ages began, as we saw over here in 2 Timothy, before the ages began, grace, purpose given to us in Christ. And at the proper time, manifested. So that's what we saw here. The grace of God has appeared. It was active before eternity. It has now appeared. And at the proper time, manifested in this world through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. So eternal life has been mentioned already, but this letter clearly falls, the emphasis falls heavily on the work of Christ He is appearing, his grace, in salvation for all people to have these practical effects, training to renounce ungodliness, get rid of worldly passions, replace them with self-control, uprightness, godly lives, get free from lawlessness, get purity for zeal for good works. That's my first answer. He has already mentioned the eternal life, and he has now, let me finish this first part of the answer, this word for shows that in the preceding two verses in 9 and 10, he's been saying bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. This is Paul's concern. That is, there is a way of life that makes the work of Christ, which is taught about forgiveness of sins, beautiful by showing that he is Savior from the power of sin. Let me say that again. We make, we make the doctrine of salvation beautiful, not just by heralding the fact that God forgives sins, but that he frees us from the ugliness of ungodliness and worldly passions and lawlessness and impurity, and he fills us with zeal for good works and self-control and uprightness and godliness. That's the the adornment that he had been talking about earlier. So my first answer to the question, why does Paul go from, from the appearance of grace in salvation straight to these ethical concerns is because here in the preceding two verses, his burden was to help us adorn the doctrine of God and make it more beautiful by its practical effects in life. Here's my second answer. If you go back to see what really happens by the grace of God appearing in the world, the new covenant is being fulfilled. Jesus called his blood the the blood of the covenant, or the new covenant in Luke 22, 20. This, he held up the cup at the 
Last Supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. So this is what the blood of Jesus bought, the new covenant. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, which now gets applied to all those who become true Israelites by faith in the Messiah. I will put my law within them and write it on their hearts. They will love the law of God, and I will be their God. They will be my people, this, this possession, a people of his own possession here in Titus 2. They will be my people, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity. That's the foundation of everything, and I will remember their sins no more. So there's forgiveness of sin in the new covenant, and there is the writing of the law on the hearts of the people, which means their hearts are changed to love the law of God so that they walk in it. So there's these two effects of the blood of Christ. One is he has purchased complete forgiveness. This is the ground of our justification, and he has purchased transformation. Here it is in Ezekiel 36. I will sprinkle clean water on you. You shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. This is the purifying that Paul's referring to, made clean. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you, purify you. And I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you and remove from you the heart of stone from your flesh and give you hearts of flesh that are, that are tender and docile and sensitive and easily touched by the Spirit of God. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. There's the ethical outworking that Paul is emphasizing in Titus 2, 11 to 14. I will cause you, when I shed the blood of my covenant, I will purchase absolutely for my people a walking in my statutes, careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land I will, that I gave your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. So my second answer to why Paul goes from the appearing of the grace of God and its working of salvation, not here to the forgiveness of sins or the act of justification, but immediately to training in righteousness, to train us to renounce ungodliness, is first because back here in the preceding two verses, his concern was the adorning of the doctrine of God. And my second answer is that it is precisely what the new, co new Covenant was intended to produce when the grace of God finally appeared in the Messiah and bringing salvation to God's people. So much more to see here. We'll be back again. <laughs> 